Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us this week of this episode of Your Mortgage Process. Of course, I'm your host, Greg Wareham. We have a wonderful guest today, a friend of mine, Mr. Ken Pruss. Hi, Ken. Hello. How are you? Great, great. Glad to be here. Hey, glad to have you. Uh, just a quick background on Ken. So Ken has been a real estate appraiser for the past 25 years. He's owned CN Appraisal since 1997. He's owned a title company that I think his wife's involved with now since 2003. He's a licensed New Jersey contractor. And he was one of the very few approved federal contractors after Sandy, where he helped raise, right, Ken, 100 different homes in the area? Yep, raised and built foundations, uh, helped a lot of people all along Monmouth, Ocean County, uh, that were affected by this, you know, the flood and the storm. Yeah. How did you get involved in that? You know, just pretty much like everything, just, you know, being in the business, being around diverse people. Sure. Um, and really it comes down to helping people, you know, obviously economically to make money, to earn a living, sure. uh, but just an interest, the real estate and construction. And I had a house, um, I had a beach house in Point Pleasant. So I knew a lot of the residents that were affected. My house wasn't affected. Okay. Uh, we actually sold the house prior to Sandy, um, wow. which, you know, was, was just luck. But my cousin, you know, lived on the same block that I lived on and all the homes in the surrounding areas, you know, when we were able to drive by a couple of weeks after you just saw the devastation yeah. and, uh, the pain. So, um, you know, a friend of mine, you know, received the contract and he needed help and he mm -hmm. knew I had construction background mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, just like anything else, jumped in head first and, sure. you know, made some mistakes, but uh, got them corrected and, uh, you know, did well and helped people out. That's great, Ken. I'm sure you helped a lot of people through that process. Everyone in this area knows how difficult that was in 2012. And now you also, you live locally. You live in Colts Neck? Yep. I live in Colts Neck for the past 16 years. Uh, my wife and three children and uh, actually grew up in Middlesex County, East Brunswick, um, so I've been in this area, you know, pretty much my whole life. That's fantastic. And I know your oldest son, is it your oldest son that's an appraiser as well? He actually, yes, he's uh, graduating in May from Monmouth University. That's great. Um, and he did, he went and, and received his apprentice license. So he's licensed and uh, he's been running around with me for the past year. So, um, you know, it's uh, keeping keeping it in the family, I guess. Uh, it's great. He's got a great mentor. Dad. <laughs> I don't know. Right. He'll, you'll it's, have to ask him that right. question. It's something that everybody knows about Ken. Ken was a football player and played football in college. We're talking Division One football, so not the Division Three stuff that I did. So where'd you go to school, Ken? Uh, I went to Vanderbilt University. Um, I was there for four years, graduated, and was a uh, defensive back. Really? Yes. Oh, you're fast. Yeah, I, well, I, if you look at me now, you might not say, but I was. I was a quick, uh, that was one of my traits. I was a quick uh, hitting safety. Uh, it's fantastic, Ken. Well, again, thanks for joining us today. And today we have Ken here today to really talk about the elusive appraisal. And anyone who's ever purchased a house or refinanced a house, they've heard the expression, we need to get an appraisal done to the property. But from a consumer standpoint, they're really not involved in that process, especially when you're purchasing a home. So not even the realtor is not that involved aside from letting you into the property. Right. Correct? So everything's controlled at the bank level. Bank orders an appraisal, generally through an appraisal management company. Correct. Reaches out to Ken. Ken goes out and inspects the property. And we're going to take some of the, the shadow off of that today. So they really understand what's going on behind the scenes with an appraisal. So I guess the first place I would start, Ken, is how did you even get into being an appraisal? You know, um, I always had an interest in real estate. Uh, again, none, my family members or relatives, really no one was in the real estate uh, industry. But my grandparents actually had a two-family house. Okay. So I always, you know, was around, you know, renters and, you know, managing, maintaining a property. But when I graduated college, you know, I wanted to be uh, a broadcaster. So, uh, really? so this is actually, well, uh, welcome to the this party. Is, this is my first broadcast <laughs> in 30 years. First of many. <laughs> so, um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I had an opportunity to be a graduate assistant football coach at Rutgers where I grew up. So, um, great opportunity. I did that, but it was a 10 month, uh, contract. You had to go to grad school coach and it was for 10 months and you had the summers off. Sure. So, um, I was introduced to an alumni who was an appraiser uh -huh. and he was 
you know, ending his career. So he really was looking for someone who wanted to run around and do the grunt work that he didn't want to do. Sure. And, um, you know, I worked with him the first summer and then the second summer, you know, again, when, when my 10 months was over, I worked with him again and, uh, you know, he was a great mentor, a great teacher. I have to say his name, Stan Petrowitz. He's Thanks, out Stan. of he's out of Jackson, New Jersey. He's a he's a New Jersey guy. Um, but he made me get the apprenticeship and uh he was very hard. Uh taught me, you know, I would say old school. You know, there was no computers, there were sure. no digital cameras mm-hmm. when I started. So basically we had a type on a typewriter appraisals. Um we had to take uh eight millimeter film take them to Walmart and get the photos developed Wow! and use a glue stick to put them on the reports. Um, the good old days. Good old days. <laughs> um, we had to use comp books. So some of you realtors who are my age or older, you know, probably remember those days. Um, so I just got into it and just uh, stayed with it, became licensed, and then started my own practice and uh, really haven't looked back. So what's the licensing involved in it? It, It's tough. And the state of New Jersey right now, the past three years, um, since most of the appraisers, men and women, uh, are retiring or, you know, since um, COVID hit, you know, didn't renew their licenses. So there's a big need. There's a two-year apprenticeship. Um, You have to work for a licensed or certified appraiser for two years you have to do it. They lowered it now. Now it's a year and a half. They just lowered it because my son's doing it um, to a year and a half, a thousand hours of inspections. Then wow. you can sit to actually get the test. So it's a hard transition. Kids who graduate from college need to make money to pay back student loans, you know, to rent, to buy a car. So that year and a half, you know, if you're not with a, I would say, a generous certified or licensed appraiser, Mm -hmm. you're really not going to make money that year and a half. Mm -hmm. You know, by the time you drive around, use your car, spend the hours doing an appraisal, you're pretty much, you know, you're making money, but you're really breaking even. So the appraisal board's trying to get more people involved and trying to give incentives to the banks to use apprentices or approve Mm -hmm. them. Because you would know it's hard. A lot of the banks don't will not allow an apprentice to do one of your appraisals, even if I sign off on it. Right. Um, So then the question is, well, how is someone going to be able to become licensed if you don't let him or her work on the reports? Yeah. So, so the rules have changed, but it's, it's, it's a long process. It's about a year and a half, a thousand hours if you're working full time so you can sit for the test. What's the average age? Is it someone in their fifties or like my industry? You know, they do have all the statistics, Uh, you know, off the top of my head, I would say probably the average age from taking the every year I have to take continuing ed and they put all the numbers in but I want to say the average age in New Jersey was like I would say it was like in the low 50s okay um, so anyone out there that's hearing this that wants to be a real estate appraiser <laughs> Ken's the guy to call because we're in a shortage of in that industry right now so yeah it's so it's tough it's tough getting getting good young talent as I'm sure you know sure. Uh, in this financial real estate industry sure how many appraisals do you think you've done in your career I couldn't even, I, I mean, thousands, thousands. Th- over thousands. And I, I got a question for you. How important is it for the appraiser handling a particular property to be locally based to that area? This is a great question. And, and, and a lot of the realtors, I'll I've give you two as, as we I pre- go. I prepared that question. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, would not, I wouldn't expect anything less. Um, but, but these are great questions, you know, especially with the younger appraisers getting in the field. Sure. The first question someone asks, and nine out of 10 times, it's a realtor because they're the listing or selling agent letting us in the house. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if it's a refinance, the homeowner is in the house. But the first question is, how long have you been doing this? Right. Do you know the area? Which those are very important questions. But me, I could care less what someone asked me. But some appraisers, and I, I could say from my experience, the ones who are older, more experienced than me, they get offended by those questions because mm. they look at it as just like the realtor, the mortgage banker. You guys are licensed just like we are through the state. So if I'm here, I should be qualified because if we're not, we're supposed to let the client know if I'm not qualified to, to do something in Spring yeah. Lake because I live in Bergen County, I shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. But it happens a lot. You know, along those same lines, too, just from a lending standpoint, my experience is like everyone's licensed and qualified that comes to do the appraisal. 
But it just seems like if someone has some local knowledge of the areas, it matters, right? Someone comes in from Pennsylvania to do an appraisal on the shore. Do they really understand the local nuances of the marketplace? I agree with, I would say no. I mean, even me, I cover the whole state. Mm -hmm. I only do Monmouth, Middlesex and Ocean just because of the years, the relationships. Sure. A lot of times I'll call a broker up, something's under contract. And in this past year, the list price, let's just say Mm 400,000, most everything's selling well above. So- if I can get that information, you know, or partial information, that's very important in my appraisal to show the lender the appreciation mm-hmm. the past two months, the past three months. So if you don't have those relationships, if if I appraise in Middlesex, Monmouth, Ocean County, and I get an order in Bergen County, I don't have that relationship with the broker, sure. with the tax assessor, yeah. with the uh, accountant that that's might know information. Uh, so. Yeah. I think it's important. And most of the banks too, they want you to be within 30 miles Mm -hmm. of your property where your office is. That's how they give out the reports, the appraisal management companies. So they kind of try to keep you in that geography. geography. But as you know, I mean, we could, let's take, because we're by the shore. I mean, you can appraise a property down the shore and a house could be a block away. And if they don't have the same bay views, if they don't have the same ocean views, you're talking thousands of dollars sure. in an adjustment or a different price range. So yes, it's very important. And and I try to stay obviously in the areas that I know I'm comfortable with, mm-hmm. because again, I can, you know, I'm basically the eyes and ears for the lender. We're, we're protecting the lender and the buyer. Sure. Well, and now coming back, I, I'm wondering today in the environment where prices just keep going up, how difficult is it to come up with a value? It's, if, it's hard because- I tell people, and and some people like this and some people hate this, an appraisal is an opinion of value. Sure. It's a supported opinion of value. Now, as a realtor, let's put our realtor hat on, it's what someone's willing to pay. Right. And with interest rates so low and so many people coming from North Jersey, New York this past year, they're willing because their areas are a lot more expensive. So they think some of these values, they're willing to pay 50, 75, 100 above the list price. Mm. But now the banker, we put Greg's hat on, the banker doesn't care. But if you're getting a mortgage and you're only putting X amount down, now the appraisal becomes a major issue. Sure. And now me as the appraiser, I have to follow guidelines. Sure. You know, how much percentage I can exceed, how far back I can go in sales, how far away I can use comps. So there's no, it's not a sign, you know, it's not an art or a science. It's really gathering the data. It's an opinion of value. It's an opinion of value. Now, this is a very important point that I talk about with a lot of the realtors that I'm close with. Mm -hmm. Now, doing, I guess, your due diligence for your buyer, and they have the access through the MLS and the uh, real estate boards, Every quarter, you should get the percentages that properties are going up. Mm. And they they prioritize, they specify. If you put the parameters, the distances, the square footage, the size of the house, they'll show you, okay, 47 homes sold this past quarter, three months. Mm. And this is the average of the appreciation. And that's how we can show a market adjustment. Yeah. It has to be yeah. supported. We can't just say, well, I had 10 offers of 50000 above, so that's what it's worth. Right. It doesn't work that way. And, you know, and along those lines, just kind of when you look at the bank end of it, and we've had this conversation before, you have when a value comes in lower than what someone's paying for it, the bank is going to lend on the lower of the appraised value or the purchase price of the property. So the banks take a more conservative approach from that standpoint. I mean, when you look at how the market's going right now, just about everything's selling over list price right now. In a week. Right. In you know, a week. In, in less than 10, 20 days. So it's a challenge. And, and right. this is what sets apart a lot of the mortgage bankers, a lot of the realtors, and a lot of even the appraisers. Because, you know, we all need to be working together because, one, we need to protect the consumer. Sure. You know, that's really what our license has us do. But, again, we can only reflect that market, but we have to reflect it correctly. Right. And if we do, in the long run, we're going to help more than hurt more people, you know, in, in, in this crazy market. So it's very important to be very current with your statistics, right. very current with your data. So you can give everyone uh, the knowledge they need to make a deal work or not work. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. Where do you get the data from? 
a lot of places, but mainly the uh, I'm approved and I'm I get the MLS, mm-hmm. so I get all the MLSs for the state. Then also I have private uh, data information from the assessors, county records mm. that I get, and then too from a lot of appraisers or assessors because a lot of times, especially in this market and in the down market too, you have a lot of private sales. Right. So when those private sales aren't in the MLS, you don't have access to see mm-hmm. those sales. And a lot of times the private sales, you know, they wanted to save a commission or it was a 30-day close. So they didn't have time to list it. They didn't have time to go through the conventional way of listing and selling a property. So again, it's very important to verify and know your markets. Land values are very impossible to get. Mm -hmm. So you really need to go have a relationship with the assessors because the builders, they're building off that land value. They're buying a house for 250 to knock it down. Mm -hmm. So that's how we're coming up with land values. Now we see what they really paid for the approved residential lot. We say the dirt, you know, Mm. what did the dirt sell for? Right. You know, down in Long Beach Island now, the dirt is selling for a million dollars right? On a, on a 50 by 100 Cape Cod house where two years ago it was going for 650 Right. You know, so. Now, do you have per, your personal relationships with some of these departments? Like you pick up the phone and call You pick the up the ta- phone like, Greg, you're a yeah. mortgage banker. Someone calls me. Hey, Ken, do you know a mortgage banker? You know, you're, I give them two names. You know, <laughs> I give them a couple names. I think names. it's legally three. Three. I give them three names, of course. Um, and same with a realtor, you know, can you refer me a realtor, but the assessors too, I make it a point to go into the assessor's office. A lot of them are part-time in New Jersey, especially down the shore. That makes sense. So I make it a point to go in, introduce myself and say, Hey, if you need MLS services, because Mm -hmm. they're getting tax appeals, they're doing tax appeals. And a lot of those guys, they don't have access to the MLS, Mm -hmm. you know? So you kind of, again, build a relationship, work with them. And then, you know, if I need something or if I come across a complex property, I don't just say, oh, well, if the MLS didn't have any land sales, mm-hmm. I get in the car. Do I like to? No. But do I? Yes. I go right. to the assessor's office. He's going to be there Thursday from five to eight at night right. because he works at three other counties. They break it up. Mm-hmm. So usually no one's in there. So that's when you build a relationship with someone because when he's sitting there, she's sitting there from five to nine at night. How many mm. people go see the tax assessor? You know, that's not my favorite person to go see. This is really important. I hope <laughs> a lot of people are going to be listening to this podcast because it, the question I get a lot is, okay, I ordered the appraisal and can I have it back by the end of the week? And my conversation is, well, no, it's a process. You have to order. It has to physically go out and inspect the property. Then you have to look at comps, tax assessor's office. You have a lot of different parts of it. How long do you think the average appraisal does from the time that order hits your desk? And I realize it changes depending on complexity. It it changes. You know, if you take a typical, let's just take a typical, you know, we'll take a Monmouth County property, you know, um, and this is similar in in Middlesex and Ocean. But we'll take a four-bedroom colonial, you know, standard two-story, four-bedroom colonial, 2,400 square feet. Um, sale price will say 450,000. Mm-hmm. Now, depending what town it's in, but most towns, there's plenty of sales. There's a lot of sales. Mm-hmm. So, you know, by the time you get the order, you call, make an appointment. By the time you drive to the property, inspect the property, you have to drive by your closed comparables and take pictures because sometimes people renovate, they knock the house down. So we mm-hmm. want to make sure the sale that sold three months ago that we're using is still there and is what I'm going to reflect in the appraisal report. Yeah, makes sense. Then we come back to the office, and then you're going to do your due diligence. You're going to pull up your sales. Then you're going to reconcile, see which ones are most similar as your property you're appraising. Bedrooms, bathrooms, condition, lot size. And then we make adjustments, and then we reconcile and come up with the value. So I would say from start to finish, you know, you're looking at four hours, four-plus hours. Now, you're not going to sit there straight for four hours. You know, Some people have someone in the office that will collect a lot of the data. We have to put the block, the lot, Mm. the assessor's parcel number, the lot size, the zoning, all that goes into the report. Then we need to verify, even though the three sales or four sales I use as comparables, they were in the MLS, there's an MLS number, a sold date. I still, and, and all appraisers, we have to verify that. So that's where we go to the assessors. And a lot of us have access to you know, similar to an MLS system Mm -hmm. that shows the recorded deed, the sale price, the date of that property. Mm -hmm. So again, it's checks and balances because we want to make sure the sales we're using were legit sales. Now, do you have like a on the road day? 
and then come back and, and have days that you're just in the office completing the report? Uh, I'm not a conventional person. So, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, typically what you would do, yes, typically how most appraisers appraise is, yes, we'd, we'd set a day to schedule, you know, three or four appraisals. Um, and then the following day, you know, you would do your office work where you, where you would pull those comparables. But sure. you're on the fly a lot because sometimes someone will call you. We have a rate lock, you know, uh, that's going to expire at the end of the week. We need you to run out there. Right. Or, you know, down the shore, this is a second residence or it's a rental. You know, we can only get in there on a Saturday. You know, the tenant works all week. And right. I live in North Jersey. I can't open up the house mm -hmm. for you. So there's no typical day. Which... Well, I know that the banks always buy, you have to go out and reinspect things at times. Like as an example, if there's something, if there's a cost to cure on the appraisal or something subject to, meaning that you know, something needs to be completed to recognize the value Correct. that you estimated at, well, you got to go back and make sure the work's done. Yes. And take a picture right. and verify it. And, and again, you know, you run into the homeowner, that realtor, they're relying on these sales, right. You know, to, to close and, and, you know, make a commission. So there's a lot of pressure. And, and, and the biggest thing in residential real estate, it's emotional, right? It is so emotional where all of us, you know, the, the, the broker, the mortgage banker, broker, the realtor and the appraiser need to help and guide these people. We need to keep the level head sure. because, you know, some people aren't sleeping at night. They're waiting to get their mortgage approval. Right. They're waiting to get the appraised value. Mm -hmm. They're waiting to have the buyer accept their offer. So every deal, it's not like it's once a month, twice a month. It's every day, Yeah. you know, no, for the no most part, about it. you know, so it's, I think the consumer doesn't always recognize that. Like behind the scenes, you're, you're stressed. I'm stressed. Agents stressed, and not stressed necessarily in a bad way. It's just hypersensitive to making sure that we're delivering for the client at the right. end of the day. Because these people, you know, these consumers, this is most, for most of them, I'd say 90 plus percent, this is their biggest investment, mm -hmm. you know? So it's not like we're, you know, doing something, you know, that that's a typical everyday purchase or a typical everyday service. Sure. This is something that, you know, is going to affect the buyer, the seller, you know, big time. Sure. You know, I want to, we're going to take a quick break, Ken, but I, when we come back, I want to talk about property styles. You had mentioned Cape and Colonial, talk about values, different types of appraisals, and we'll be right back at you. Great. Thank you again for listening to this week's episode of Your Mortgage Process. Just want to bring everyone up to speed on some of the things that we're working on to improve your overall experience. We've been strategically sending out YouTube series in their social media platform to kind of gauge interest in doing it one piece at a time. And we've decided to load everything for you. So you'll have access to our entire home buyer workshop, our entire YouTube series. You're going to have access to everything. Now, we will also be running some new programs coming up in the future that are include investor opportunities, you know, understanding fix and flips, understanding how to make money on real estate sales. We're going to introduce to you all these different concepts and try to understand them in a little bit more detail. We're also going to merge that with how to leverage the bank's money through the mortgage process to try to help you get where you need to be in those arenas. And we look forward to continuing to deliver some amazing content to you. Please, if you have any feedback, just visit us online. Let us know if you have any comments, any questions, anything you'd like to talk about on the air. So again, thanks again for listening. Have a great day. Well, welcome back, everybody, and thank you again for joining us this episode of Your Mortgage Process. I'm, of course, your host, Greg Wareham, and we have Ken Press here. Ken, we had left it off at the break talking about different styles of homes. You had mentioned Cape. You had mentioned Colonial. How much does the style of the home impact the value? You know, it really doesn't because all parts of the state, depending on the land, determine on the house. Okay, so we'll hmm. take something down the shore. Most homes down the shore don't have basements because once you start digging, you hit water. Sure. So that would be considered a slab basement. Basically, it's a concrete floor. You you know, you don't have storage. You can't go underneath. Mm -hmm. So all houses can have slabs, colonials, ranch, Cape Cods, split levels, bi-levels, and contemporaries. Right. Those are the majority residential homes for the most part. Um, again, everyone's opinion is different depending on what stages. And I'll give you a few examples. Most, I would say, first-time home buyers or younger buyers want the traditional center hall colonial. Mm -hmm. Your two-story, four-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath, you know, plus house. You know, that would, I would say, from the response I get from most buyers. But again, you know, now I, I live in a colonial house, so I guess I fit 
you know, uh, you that probably got a really nice house. That description. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I always say now, you know, I joke when my kids are in college now, I said, I want the ranch because I don't want to have to be climbing up and down the stairs in the next 10, 15 sure. years. You know, yeah, how's that hip? They laugh. Right? Exactly. You know, old football injuries, right. you know, uh, you know, you can relate. So, exactly. <laughs> <I can. laughs> you know, now the yard work, oh, the back. Uh, oh, uh, again. Wait, oh, easy, easy. <laughs> so, but, but again, there's no, you know, it doesn't affect the value. We're reflecting what the market is. Yeah. So again, in certain areas, you know, especially too, let's say down the shore, and even a little further south, you have a lot of retirement communities and the homes they're building now, they're not your typical, you know, little square box, you know, 800 square foot, two bedroom, one bath ranch. Sure. These 55 and older adult communities now are gorgeous. They're going for, you know, a million dollars, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars. Um, you know, and those are mostly are ranches. Some do have a second story for the grandkids or for their children who come and visit them. Right. Um, so again, there's no right or wrong uh, or preferred style. It really comes down to the builder in that area. Mm-hmm. And things change. You know, for a while, the contemporaries were real popular. Sure. You know, a lot of the builders were building, you know, modern contemporary homes. Um, so part of it's also probably common to the area, right? Correct. To your point, ranches are common to the area. You throw a colonial in there, it may not be worth as much because it's a 55 or older community and people are looking for a ranch. Correct. Correct. Again, you know, we always come back to the market. So like you just said, if if all the homes and and even, you know, on size, you know, sometimes someone will say, hey, well, I put, you know, a 2000 square foot addition. All the homes are 2000 square feet. And now I put an 800 square foot addition, you know, on the back. You might not recoup that dollar for dollar cost to build that addition because now your taxes are going up. Now you have more maintenance. Now you have more utility bills. Right. So again, a lot of times, a lot of times in a market like this, the value goes much higher because Mm -hmm. now maybe your parents sold their house. They have a house out of state. So now you have a place for them to stay. So someone would be willing to pay more Mm -hmm. to have a house with the additional square footage. So there's no exact, rhyme or reason Mm -hmm. you know it really is what the market is bearing and again what someone is willing to pay but if financing comes into play and they need to get an appraisal again just like the realtors just like the mortgage just like the appraisers we have to follow our guidelines and standards yeah makes it makes sense so i have a question for you ken it's popped into my mind that comes up so you appraised my house and my house is four thousand square feet and you appraised it for three thousand square feet but I got this great finished basement downstairs and, you know, that's a thousand square feet. Can you count that as value great. or as square footage? Great question. Great question. And, okay, I'll give a tip it today. April 1st, the appraisal board nationally just approved a new um, measurement and square footage of all homes. So it's ANSI, A-N-S-I. It's the standards for measuring completed square foot homes okay so now you have to be above grade okay meaning you can't be in the basement so but if there's a window in the basement it has to be some basements slope as we know and you have glass sliding doors that you could walk out so again possibly a portion of that basement if we could stand five feet where we're not below grade Mm. ground level you could possibly count that However, the new ANSI standards, if you're below grade, it can't be considered as finished above grade square footage. So the above grade square footage would be anything on the first and second floor that is finished and heated. Finished meaning completed, you Mm -hmm. know, drywall, paint, um, you know, carpet, flooring, you know, hardwood and so forth. Now you bring up a good point. You said heated. So if it's below grade and it even meets the five foot requirement or you got to walk out basement, maybe we can do some of it. If it's not heated, it doesn't count? No. That's, now, that's if you have no. a walk up attic, yeah, that is finished. You know, it yeah. has a legal wide staircase and it's not heated. It's It would be considered a finished attic, not finished GLA, gross livable area. Heated though, it counts. Correct. I got another one for you. Thank you, Ken. That's really helpful. Uh, well, I, my house has four bedrooms, and you said there's only three bedrooms. 
What constitutes a bedroom? Again, you're bringing up great points, and and you can get a lot of answers depending on who you talk to. Right. And again, different appraisal guidelines. You know, we have to follow USPAP, which is an abbreviation for our guidelines, rules, regulations. Okay. Now, to be counted as a bedroom, again, has to be grade level or above. Yep. It has to be finished, heated, and it has to have a closet. Okay. Now, though, okay, I'm an appraiser. There's a caveat. Caveat. I'm an appraiser. We're in Trenton. We're in Perth Amboy. We're in somewhere up in Bergen County um, that is more of an urban or city area or older area mm-hmm. that is over 80 years old. Homes weren't built with closets. Right. You you would go in and you'd have an armoire, and that's where you would hang your shirts or your pants. So again, depending on that market, if it's mm. common and typical to not have a closet in the bedroom, and that's common, I consider that a bedroom. This is why it's so critical. You have to work with a local appraiser, mortgage person, real estate agent, because these nuances are really important. That's very different. What you just described is very different than say what we see in Monmouth County, New Jersey, Correct. Homedale, New Jersey, Cold Snack. It's completely different. Correct. So I agree. I related to, again, the ex and you're an ex football player. You're only as good Brockton as... Brockton High, 1989, I graduated. 89, wow. <laughs> what do you mean, wow? <laughs> you have me beat. Um, it's very important for all of us to work with the team. And again, I'm not saying one mortgage broker, sure. banker, one realtor, one appraiser, one home inspector, one attorney. You need to work with people because... The deals are so hard. We're right. going coming into a market that it's going to, you know, some sort correct. You know, none of us have a crystal ball. But again, if you don't have that team in place of professionals that are looking out for each other and working, the whole point is to help people and to close deals and to earn right. a living. And it's very important that you have credible people you work with to give information and knowledge for people to make these decisions yeah. that's going to affect them big time. So again, I learned something new. I've been doing this 20 plus years mm-hmm. and I'll tell you, I would say every one or two months I come across something that maybe I haven't come across in years or something I haven't come across ever. Mm. And I reach out to people that, you know, are in the industry and I bounce it off them because again, I'm human. I make mistakes just like everyone else. Sure. Um, so I'm a big believer in, in working with people, not yeah. against people. I, could, I couldn't agree with you more, Ken. That's why we get along so well. <laughs> so uh, t- talking about individual characteristics of a house. So another uh, statement that I'll get is, well, my house has a million different upgrades, and I sunk $150,000 into my kitchen. Shouldn't my house be worth $150,000 more than the person in the house next door that has the same house with a lower-end kitchen? I come across that every day as well. I can imagine. (laughs) And the answer is yes. You know, to what extent though? And this is where if an appraiser, in my opinion, goes into a property that you don't have knowledge, construction costs, Mm -hmm. um, material costs, you know, you need to make yourself knowledgeable because yes, people are putting in thousands of dollars into bathrooms, kitchens, floorings, fixtures. Big thing now is the solar panels. That's the biggest problem to get deals closed. They want to know, are they leased? Yeah. Are they owned? Because now that's a leanable item. No question. And how it looks behind the scenes for everyone is with solar panels, different guidelines for different mortgages, right? FHA mortgage, conventional mortgage, completely different. But what FHA wants to know is in the event it's a leased solar panel, who's responsible for removing them from the house if the consumer defaults? Or what happens if the roof leaks? Right. Right. And all that stuff comes into play. So it's with with solar panels because they're so popular. You really need to know, are they owned? Are they leased? And if they're leased, you need that lease agreement to understand what some of the rules are. If there's an issue, there's a roof leak or, or they need to be removed. Correct. One of the biggest issues the past like two years are, are with the solar panels from the lender and even from buyers, because what are they assuming? Right. You know, if someone's still making a monthly payment, if they're purchased, if they're leased, like you said, who's responsible for removing them, fixing them, updating sure. them. So that's something, again, that, you know, as all of us, the lender, the realtor and the appraiser, the real estate attorney, those are all things that affect the deal. But back to your question regarding the kitchen, in my experience, very rarely you get dollar for dollar. Okay. All right. Makes now, sense. unless there's newer construction, 
or there were newer homes that have closed, but the previous owner put a new kitchen, put a new bathroom so they could get top dollar market value. And how we do it, the market's going to reflect those upgrades. Mm -hmm. So again, by me or my counterparts being in those homes, we're going to compare how much was the cost to redo it. Are they using marble, granite, stone, formica, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, what kind of faucets? Then that will determine the percentage that we could show the market reflects. So question for you on that. When you look at an appraisal report and there's a brand new kitchen and the house hasn't sold since the brand new kitchen has went in. Would you look to put a positive adjustment on the value of the other comps that you're using to... Correct. Incre- if, okay. If our subject property has the brand new sink and the comparable is similar, but they don't have these same upgrades, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have the granite, they don't have the marble, they don't have the hi-hats, they don't have the moldings, you know, then again, we would see, usually it would reflect in the market mm-hmm. of what that sale sold for. So if it sold for $20,000 less, $30,000, we'll be able to grade from that market to really extract and show why that house sold for $30,000 less because they had the bathrooms redone. They had the flooring all hardwood. They didn't have the upgraded kitchen. So we can kind of see what that change in that value is. So I have the most beautiful house in the neighborhood. I have killer curb appeal. It's really, it's fictional. It's not me. But (laughs) best curb appeal in the world. My house is worth more than the house next door because my landscaping's better. And it looks better. Is that a valid statement? Depending on what they have. You know, you're seeing a lot now in, in, I would say, upper middle class neighborhoods. You're seeing now in backyards, kitchens. Right. Built-in grills, waterfalls in the pool. You're not going, in my experience and and my extraction of the market, most cases you're not getting dollar for dollar on those upgrades. Now, are you getting an adjustment because you have the cabana, you have the bathroom Mm -hmm. in the pool house? Yes, absolutely. Makes sense. But again, in my experience, you're getting a percentage you're not getting dollar for dollar. Some cases you do get dollar for dollar, but the majority, you're getting a percentage shown for that upgrade, but not dollar for dollar. Makes sense. How about a pool? Does it always positively impact your value? In my experience, it does, but you can get a lot of people to fight that because now I have to heat it or I have to run the filter. Now I have to have a fence around the house. Now I have to buy chemicals. So some people will argue and say, that pool's a negative. Right. But, uh, you know, in my experience, the majority in the homes I appraise, there's always a adjustment in the favor of having an in-ground pool as long as it's operating and in working condition. Make, makes sense. When we look at some of the, the details of the appraisal outside of the individual house, how close do comparable homes need to be when you're using them as a comparison of value? Great, great question. And, and I'll go. Man, a little, I got a lot of them today. Uh, <laughs> that's good. You're a great guest. Um, thank you. Um, the biggest thing that the lenders, okay, you know, we're our client, the appraiser's client is the lender. Sure. Okay. It's, you know, obviously we're doing the appraisal for the buyer for most parts. The we're banks. Protecting the buyer, but the client's the lender. Correct. So banks, ideally, ideal situation, you want to use the most recent closed sales within 30 days. Okay. Okay. Now we can go back a year and we can exceed a year if there are not similar closed homes that have sold. Okay. Okay. So ideally three months, if the appraisal's today, we can go back in time. Three months would be the ideal comparable to use. Uh, Similar style, Mm -hmm. meaning colonial, colonial, ranch to ranch, bi-level to bi-level. Square footage, 2,200 square foot house. We don't want to use a 3,200 square house as a comparable. Sure. But in the Northeast and in New Jersey, as you know, you can go down any typical block, any typical town, and you're going to have a bi-level, a ranch, a cape, uh, a split level. So it's common to have mixed uses, but you want to find similar bedroom and bathroom counts, square footage, and lot size. Mm -hmm. If all the homes are 200, you know, by 150, you don't want to use a house that has three acres. Could, so, it, could it work to someone's disadvantage if they've built the monster of the neighborhood? So everything's a 2,000-square-foot colonial, and the person on the block built a 7,000-square-foot colonial, and it's not normal to that area. 
that would mainly, you know, would be over improved for that market area. Okay. Meaning. And it could affect the value. It could affect the value. Yes. Okay. Where some people think, well, oh, now my house just went up $200,000 because of that one house. Sure. Again, the bank wants to see what is normal, typical for that market area. Okay. And if there aren't any, so again, square footage style condition going back three months, those are the main factors. And then they also like you ideally to bracket. So bracket meaning if our house is 2,000 square feet, ideally if we can find one at 1,900, 1,950, one at 2,000, one at 2,100, just so the bank can see what did the one at 1,900 sell for? What did the one at 2,200? Sure. To kind of justify our adjustments for the square footage. Does that always happen? No, but that's really what we try to do because again, no house is the same unless it's brand new construction and they build three models. Makes, you know, makes th sense. Then the homes are going to be similar. So it's very important to pick the sales that are most similar condition, location, size. Mm. Those are the most square footage, the GLA, which is the finished square footage, not the basement. The gross living area? Yes, gross okay. living area. I'm sorry. Um, those are your biggest adjustments um, in an appraisal. So question, another question I get from real estate agents frequently is, well, there's these deal under contract that's pending right now that's selling for a million dollars where there hasn't been an actual sold comp there for a million dollars in the past six months. Can you give any weight to something that's under contract or pending closing? Yes, the banks will. I okay. mean, my experience, the underwriters that, that I've spoken with, and, and I work with over, I would say, 50 banks. Okay. So it's a large pool. It's not one or two. Sure. They are relying. We use on all our appraisals a minimum, a lot of times more, but a minimum of three closed sales. And then we always, they require one active or one pending slash under contract sale because those are the most recent. Those, right. those are happening now. So in our market the past two years, most of the list prices, to give an example, say was four seventy nine nine. dollars mm -hmm. Everything's selling, most everything is selling, you know, apples to apples above list price. We're not allowed to get that contract or to get that final number. But again, if you're in that area and in that market area and you can get information of what the actual contract price is, the underwriter will look at that sure. and will not let you use it to reconcile your value, but they're going to gonna, support it. Maybe. They're going to support yeah. and see the increase appreciation the past three months, six months. Yeah. Nine months. So it's very important. Again, it comes back to having contacts because a lot of brokers, you know, they're not going to give me that under contract price. They're going to say, Ken, it's listed at 479. You know, it sold above that number. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, did it sell at 500,000? I can't right. tell you. You know, right. it didn't sell above 525, it didn't sell below 510. So you have a parameter to let the underwriter know. You know, again, we don't, the broker, you know, said that the property sold above list. So that's great, Ken. Now switching gears a little bit for how you come up with value. There's different ways depending on the type of appraisal that's getting done. So you have your sales comparison approach, which is traditional, you know, I'm purchasing a single family residence in this area and here's what the comps are selling for and you make all your adjustments. There's also the cost Yes. Approach. Could you talk a little bit about that and the, when it comes into play? Yep. There's actually three. You have okay. your market sales approach, okay. which you said that's the majority, 90 plus percent. Then you have the income approach, where if it's a multifamily, right. okay, they'll have you use a, an income approach. And then the cost approach is really for new construction. Mm -hmm. Because if it's newly constructed or a development's newly constructed and you're using sales that are 40, 50 years old, you really can't compare the two. We can compare the market. So we would use both the cost approach and the market approach to show that value. So mm. your newer constructed homes, the bank, new construction, we have to do a cost approach. Sure. On a typical appraisal, on a typical house, 10 plus years older, um, they just have us do the market sales approach and give a land value. Okay. Um, again, the cost approach would just complement or just be a, another standard to show it's just part of that values. process for new construction. What are they selling for? And do they have Bolivian wormwood? And, Correct. And this is the cost of doing it. Just okay. think, think of the logic. Say you're yeah. buying a 40-year-old house for $400,000, right? And a new construction can cost you $300,000. What right. are you going to buy? 
the brand new $300,000 constructed cost. So it's really a checks and balance sure. on a new construction house. And then the income approach again, more commercial, it's more in depth. You know, again, they're looking for your expenses and your rent roll um, on, a, on a multifamily house. It's important to give, and no one, I would say 90% of the realtors or the sellers, when we do a multifamily, because you have a ton of multifamilies down the shore. We have a lot in Long Branch, a, a bunch in Neptune. So there are a lot in, in our Freehold sure. freehold Borough. There's a lot of multifamily homes. Sure. Very rarely, someone will give me leases. So very rarely, someone will give me the rents, give me the expenses, mm. the management fee, the landscaping fee, the insurance fee. Um, and again, I'm experienced. I've been doing it for years I have all that data. But again, a newer, younger appraiser or someone who doesn't do a lot of multi, two family, you know, one to four families, a residential sale. In my experience, a lot of the, you know, less experienced appraisers have a problem or come on their value because they don't have the information to support right. what that income approach is. And again, as a professional, if I was wearing my realtor hat, I would make sure that mortgage banker, because he's qualifying you, that income's going to help you qualify. Sure. And that realtor, we're looking to get that, you know, highest sale price for our buyer or seller to show that income. Yep. So again, that's just a few things that I come across a lot. Do we like to ask someone for the leases? Do we like to pester someone? But again- It's helpful. It's helpful. Yeah, we want to make the deal work. What does it really rent for? Exactly. Right. So talk to me a little bit, Ken, about the different- types of appraisals, right? So your conventional appraisal, FHA appraisal, VA appraisal, and are they all, they're all different. They correct? are. Um, I'm not VA approved. VA is a very small amount of appraisers and it's, it's a long and tough process. So I do not do VA appraisal, so okay. I can't really speak about them. Um, FHA mortgages, I'm approved and I've been doing them for years. And yes, they're a little more strict, okay. uh, meaning we have to inspect a few things differently than if it's a conventional loan. Mm -hmm. So we have to show that the stoves are working and take a picture. So if mm -hmm. it's a gas stove, electric stove, we have to make sure at the inspection that's on and working. Okay. Makes so, sense. So that's, we have to show that the water is working. Mm -hmm. um, if it's well and septic, because a lot of properties in Monmouth County, yeah. even Ocean County have septic and well. So we have to take a picture of the septic and well and make a comment if anything looks like right. it could be. Uh, I think it's 100 feet, too, yes, they have to be. Uh, right. Be apart from each yes, other. Sir. There's some guidelines that have to go on. Um, there can't be any chipped lead-based paint if the house was built before 1976. That has to make sure nothing is chipped or peeling, or we have to cite it. That has to be scraped, taken away, and repainted. Mm -hmm. Handrails have to be on all your exit and entrances, you know, supported sure. and in... Um, Good condition. We have to inspect if there's a crawl space. We have to get in and take a picture to show that there's entry, there's no water, there's no maybe deficiencies. Mm -hmm. If there's an attic or crawl space, a lot of the homes have the pull down. You know, you, you pull down sure. and you have I the have stairs. one of those, yeah. yeah. So we have to be able to get up and take a picture up there. Okay. Um, those are really the major things. We have to verify that the roof um, at least has a minimum of two years remaining life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just visual observation, visual, correct? Visual observation. If we see shingles moved, if we see shingles peeling up, that's usually signs that they're old and at the end of their life. Okay. When we go through the house, obviously, if we see any brown spots in the ceilings, mm -hmm. we know there could be a possible leak. So those are really, it, it's not a huge item or laundry list of things, sure. but they are a few important things. And, and sometimes, a lot of times, if it's the winter, we don't have access because they didn't shovel or the crawl space is locked. Mm -hmm. Some people put a lock on it. Sometimes people break the pull string or it's not a pull string. It's just a square cutout. And you got to push it open. So you got to push yeah. it open. And, and if you don't have a stepladder in your car, because some of the homes that people moved out already. Sure. So these are some things for the appraisers. And again, I'm always proactive. You know, I tell my realtor counterparts, if you know you have a house and you're the buying agent and you're letting the appraiser in and you know it's FHA, be proactive. Make sure the crawl space is open. Right. Make sure the railings are intact. Make sure the stove, the gas or electric wasn't turned off at mm -hmm. the house because this is going to stop your deal. Then the appraiser is going to have to go back. The bank's going to charge your buyer more money. And it just makes the process longer. 
Yeah, make makes sense. You know, it, but it shouldn't influ- influence what the value of the property is. No, correct? no. As long as everything's in working, yeah. operable condition, there's no issues. You know, because we get a lot of pushback, and part of it's market driven right now with FHA lending, where a an FHA mortgage isn't as preferable as a conventional mortgage, and part of it's the appraisal end of it. And there is some more due diligence done from an appraisal standpoint, but at the end of the day on it, based how you're defining it, I mean, these are like, you got to have handrails. You got to be kind of safe. Don't have chipping paint all over the place. Like they're not huge things. No, I, I think it's more of a stigma. Right. People hear the word FHA and for whatever reason, from past experiences or past lawsuits or just past, you know, common knowledge, right. people assume it's harder, it's more difficult or the person doesn't have a down payment, a big enough down payment. Right. But it's a government program that works and helps a lot of people. And the economy's always changed. The last three, four years, yes, there's been much less FHA. But as the market turns, it's coming back, these come back. So again, it's to be prepared. Yeah. And it's, to me, FHA conventional, it doesn't matter to me. I have to take three, four more pictures it's, it's pretty much yeah. the same process. Well, and Ken and I were talking off camera before this about first-time home buyers and how we're going to really start to see a shift. The data would suggest that we're going to see a shift going to the back end of this year. Next year, there'll be a lot more first-time home buyers because they've really been priced out of the market yes. the past couple of years. First-time home buyers, a lot of them have a lower down payment, 3.5% down. You do an FHA mortgage, so we're probably going to expect more of those as the market starts to shift. And we got to just got to understand FHA. It's, I, not a, it's a good loan. I agree for you realtors, you know, and, uh, you know, mortgage bankers, uh, brokers, even appraisers. Right. That's going to be a huge part of the market in my, I guess, my opinion. Um, because yes, the past two years has just been the wild, wild west, so to speak. Right. You know, it's, you know, how much can you pay for a property and all these other buyers who are good, solid buyers, they've just been priced out of the market and they've been, you know, basically pent up for two years. Sure. So, you know, again, I, I saw back in 2008, 2009, when the market corrected big time, you know, I don't think we're going to have that type of correction. Um, but all those people were on the sidelines. A lot yep. of my friends, you know, and counterparts were on the sidelines 2004, five, six, when the values were just you know, very similar today. It was, there was no homes and there was plenty of buyers and, and mortgage money was, you know, accessible. Yeah. And it is a cycle. You'll see FHA will become more important in the marketplace as time goes on and this market starts to change. I'm going to shift gears a little bit and start to land the plane, but I wanted to come back to Ken, something that's really important. Uh, we had spoken at the beginning of this about the 100 homes post-Sandy that you had helped raise and you were involved in that process. Could you talk a little bit about raising of the homes in the shore-oriented market? Yes. Um, and again, this was something I had you know, very little knowledge in in the beginning. Um, and a lot of people who are living in these areas who did not get their homes elevated or raised, they're coming under flood insurance which is going right. to be astronomical, or if you can even get it, you're going to have to go on the private market. So the first question is, and, and, and Nick mentioned this too, you know, he lives in the area, in a shore area, is your BFE, base flood elevation, mm-hmm. okay? Towns and the insurance companies are saying your house, your grade level has to be a certain height above the ground level. Mm-hmm. So I'll take Union Beach. That's in Monmouth County because I've done personally a lot of things there. You have to be 12 feet mm-hmm. above grade level. 12 feet is, a lot. is basically your you know second, third floor of a house. Right. So now what's the cost to put a foundation, to put pilings? Mm-hmm. Then you're going to have to get stairs you know, to run up. You're going to have to run your gas, your electric up those things. So the most important thing is, is for the consumer to know what is that base flood elevation. Some towns, three and a half feet. That's a crawl space, mm. you know? So it's it's not a crazy height. So you need to find out where you live and you can go to the your, your assessor in your town and ask the zoning officer. Mm-hmm. They'll have the federal guidelines, the state guidelines of exactly how high that you give them the block, the lot, the property address. And they'll get you either the website or they'll have the information. That is invaluable information because I think most people think that flood elevation isn't a per town thing. Hey, I got to be 13 feet, right? 
I have to be 12 feet, but that's not the case. It depends on where you live and what the FEMA map looks like as well, correct? Correct. And they've, they've updated a lot of them. They were updated after Sandy, but a lot of them have recently just been re-evaluated um, because the last couple of years we've had storms where there's been more flooding, especially in North Jersey where the lakes are. But the biggest thing, you know, too, we can come to the realtor now, if you're marketing one of these homes, because some of the people didn't have a mortgage and they just, they, they cut the four foot of sheetrock, you know, made sure there was no mold, you know, right. refixed everything. And now they want to lift, uh, list or sell their house. And the ones that have been elevated, the values of those have gone up drastically. Sure. So you have a four bedroom, two bath ranch that you have not elevated. Someone in the neighborhood elevated that four bedroom, two bath ranch. So you have the same square footage, but they're at that four foot BFE mm -hmm. for their town. They're getting, say, 150000 more. Right. That seller's not going to get that 150000 more. It's not going to appraise for that 150000 more sure. because you're not elevated. So it does come in big with the appraisals. Yeah, and it, along those same lines, too, from a lending standpoint... You know, some mortgage products require FEMA insurance. Yes. Can't get FEMA FEMA insurance. The price can vary a lot. Private mortgage insurance, a little bit different of an animal. But it all comes down to what's the level that your house is raised, to your point, and what type of insurance do you need? Because the cost can just get completely Correct. astronomical. And now say, you know, you're, you're a buyer and you said, okay, well, I'm going to buy that house and I'm going to elevate it and raise it. Right. You know, so if you're not getting it at a lower price, a much lower price than those homes that have been elevated, you better do your due diligence on what it really costs to elevate and to raise a house to the BFE. And the government was giving $150,000 to the homes that were devastated. And a lot of times that didn't cover from A to Z, meaning reconnecting your electric, your plumbing, putting platforms, stairs going up and back, putting a platform so the electric company can read your electric meter. You know, just all those things are very important. You do your due diligence because in some cases you'll be quoted certain dollars. And especially now um, with COVID, the price of materials, the price right. of labor has gone up astronomical. So those are things, again, through my experience, you know, of being on both sides of, you know, repairing, renovating, giving estimates you know, I learned a lot. You know, I had many people that had many more years experience to help me and guide me through these situations. Sure. The, the lifters, the ones who actually raised the homes, the government brought them in from Louisiana, you know, from the states that have been doing this for years. You know, the areas I mean, it's that a complicated process, right? Lifting it's, a house, just, 12 feet in the air. Yeah, just liable. Just right. the liability. Of, right. If something goes wrong, someone's not going to break a leg. They're going to die. Right. So... There was a lot of things, but, you know, the state did a great job. And for the most part, you know, as you see, these shore areas, all these values have come back and then some. And aesthetically, they made these homes look really nice with what they've done around them. Um, some have the stairs, you know, you'll go inside the house and mm -hmm. have the stairs inside, not on the outside, you know, a 12 foot, 10 foot run. So when it's raining, snowing, you know, you can get up and down stairs. Right. Some have put lifts, you know, um, you know, for elderly people or people who have handicaps to get up and down the stairs. So again, do your due diligence, um, speak to three, four people, someone who's gone through it, because it, it is a big undertaking. Uh, but at the end of the day, you will recoup most, if not all of that value, and you'll save and be able to get a mortgage right. a lot of times and not pay astronomical flood insurance if you follow those steps. It's a great point. And flood, so everyone knows, if someone has a mortgage on a property, you're required to have flood insurance if you're in a flood zone. question just comes down to how much does it cost right. relative to what's been done to the property. Ken, thank you so much today. You've done a fantastic job. Your wealth of knowledge in so many different areas. Would you be comfortable giving out your contact information for anyone that has questions or anyone potentially looking sure. to be a real estate appraiser? Sure, absolutely. Um, it's Ken Pruss at CN Appraisal. Uh, cell number 732-673-0760. Fantastic, Ken. Thank you so much for joining us today. And for everybody out there, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us today. I hope this was educational. Please check us out anywhere you get your podcasts, all our social media outlets. And again, my name is Greg Wareham. We look forward to catching up with you next week, this edition or the next edition of Your Mortgage Process. Thanks, everybody.
Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process, hosted by Greg Wareham, produced by Greg Wareham and Nick Pavise at The Social Rift, and executively produced by The Social Rift. Thank you again for tuning in, and we look forward to catching up with you next week.